1: America isn't easy. America is advanced citizenship. You've got to want it bad, because it's going to put up a fight. It's going to say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land as the land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free.
0: And that, of course, is one of the great speeches of all time ever given through the pen of Aaron Sorkin. And that was, of course, in The American President, said by Michael Douglas. But I remember that speech very well, and it was reminding me a little bit of our next conversation with our guest, Dr. Richard Haas, who has written a book about the Bill of Obligations of Citizens. Dr. Haas is the president of the Nonpartisan Council on Foreign Relations. He has an extraordinary biography himself. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He has been all over the world, including the Kennedy School at Harvard, Oberlin, Oxford, uh, getting an education and then imparting what he knows to the rest of the world. He's written over a dozen books. And this latest, The Bill of Obligations, is already a New York Times bestseller. Dr. Haas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hello.
2: Hello. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. The 10 Habits of Good Citizens. Do you remember that movie, The American President? You remember that speech?
2: Of course. Speech. Of course. It
0: was a great speech. And I was just reminded of that as I was reading your book. I have before we get to your book though, I really I have one question for you, which is yes, how ma'am. does how does anybody become a member of the Council of Foreign Relations? Like how does somebody <laughs> join that?
2: It's a membership organization. There's about 5,000 or so members scattered around the country, and individuals apply, and there's a membership process, you know, letters of recommendation, and other members uh, vote on, on them, and uh, probably about half or so of the people who apply end up becoming, uh, becoming members. So it's a pretty straightforward process.
0: And what is, what is the point? What is the mission?
2: mission of the Council on Foreign Relations is to be a resource both for members but also for the government, Congress and the executive branch, for business, for media, for students, for religious and congregational leaders, for students and teachers, teaching them about the world, teaching them about American foreign policy. To, you know, We don't advocate for particular positions. What we try to do is be a resource so people understand the uh, issues at stake, the interests at stake, and can make more informed, more thoughtful choices about this country's relationship with the world.
0: Yeah, I think under your leadership, it's probably become one of the most prominent think tanks in the entire world. I was I was interested in reading your book to find out that you personally, until recently, were registered as a Republican. And I'm curious to know, why did the Republican Party seem more in line with your personal values than the Democrats for so long?
2: Well, when I became a a Republican, that goes back over, what, 40 years ago to the to the 70s, Republicans were Had a stronger, I thought, foreign policy, much more uh, involved in the world, more willing to uh, stand up to the Soviet Union. Mm. Republican foreign policy wasn't as dominated by considerations of Vietnam alone and pulling back from the uh, world. Republicans also favored more of a free market. Back then, uh, approach to the economy, Democratic uh, economic policy was more intrusive in the economy, larger government role, which I was uncomfortable with. Republicans also had a view back then, I sound like a dinosaur now, where on social issues, again, the, the government would take a back backseat, mm-hmm. providing tremendous scope for individuals. So in a lot of those views, I said that I feel pretty comfortable uh, with that. But if I, you know, 40, 50 years later, if I may quote, uh, when Ronald Reagan left the Democratic Party, he once said, uh, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. And that's where I came out a few years ago about the Republican Party. I don't recognize much about the contemporary Republican Party. It's no longer a conservative party in the traditional sense of the word. It's really become much more of a radical populist party. And that's not where I am politically.
0: Interesting, Dr. Haas. Very interesting. We're chatting with Dr. Richard Haas. Now, you've written this book. Uh, One of my friends said to me this morning, oh, you're having Dr. Haas. Can you ask him what keeps him up at night? And I said, he already told us. If you read the book, you start out by telling us what keeps you up at night, right?
2: Uh, All right, indeed. Uh, You've Mm -hmm. read it, and it's us. Uh, Yes. Almost like that old cartoon with Pogo. We've met the enemy, and it is us. And I I look up. Don't get me wrong. As a foreign policy kind of person, I worry about China and Russia and climate change and terrorism and the rest. But if we essentially are willing and able to work together here at home, history suggests we can we can meet those international challenges. But now we've reached a point of polarization and division here where I worry we won't be able to meet either our domestic or our international challenges. We won't have the consensus even worse I worry that our differences could lead to considerable political violence. So I am uh, as concerned about us as I've ever been.
0: Yeah, and and I really like the part in the book we're chatting with Dr. Richard Haas. The book is called The Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens. I really like the fact that you focus on that sometimes politicians nowadays look at compromise as a dirty word. I'm a professional mediator. Dr. Haas, and I'm all about compromise in all things. In fact, as we speak right now, and I'm married 41 years, I'm having delivered to my house a lower bed on a bed frame because my husband has fallen out of bed too many times to mention. So there it is, the actual compromise in life, the bed frame being delivered so that we can be closer to the ground. Okay? Wouldn't be my first choice. I'm saying goodbye to my beloved bed, but it's okay because it's compromise and and you say compromise is essential, and not only essential, it's positive. Talk about that.
2: Well, first of all, we would not have a country without compromise. You think about the Constitutional Convention. It came after the first constitution, the so-called Articles of Confederation, which were totally dysfunctional. And in order to create a stronger government, a stronger executive branch, we had to have all sorts of compromises between and among the states. So it turns out that compromise was intrinsic to the creation of the of the Constitution and a functioning United States nearly two and a half centuries ago. And over the decades and centuries, we have come together and compromised on all sorts of uh, issues. But what's happened increasingly is people see their rights as absolute, a mother's right to choose versus the rights of the unborn or your right not to get vaccinated or wear a mask, my right to public health, your right to bear arms, my right to public safety, and it's, a, it's, a, it's increasingly hard to get anything accomplished or agreed on or, or implemented because people are dug in on their rights, and that means, again, it's, we don't get stuff done, uh, so our challenges here at Home and Abroad often go unmet, but worse yet, uh, our, our divisions lead us to a point where there, there could even be violence, so I am increasingly concerned
0: Yes, that's the theme of the book, Rights Alone, which is basically uh, focused on what <laughs> on what we receive versus what we give. So if you think about it, right, exactly. So, you, so exactly. your book is 100%. basically, right, so your book is about, hey, look, it's not just to live in America and to receive all of the benefits of your rights. You've got to recognize to live in America means you have an obligation, and I have been— personally, a very active citizen in my life, my whole life. And so this, to me, is a manifesto that I wholeheartedly embrace. But talk to me about why the first thing you say is that it's so important to be informed.
2: So I made it the first of my obligations. Uh, it's the basis for all, all else. I want people. second obligation to be involved. I want them to vote. And the fact that in the most recent midterm elections, more, more than half the eligible American voters didn't vote, to me, is a really worrisome and frustrating uh, sign. But the answer is not just to get people to vote. I want them to get informed. I want them to know who they're voting for and why and what issues they care about. And that means they have to spend a little bit of time and they have to become critical consumers. Of information, they have to identify the difference between a fact and a, something that's a total misstatement. They have to know where to get information. I believe, for example, that it's important to multi-source your your information, not just go to one cable station uh, or one radio station. I think it's important to go to several or read just one on paper. Much less depend upon this or that chat group or you know, group in, in in Facebook. That's social media. That's not a place to go for serious information 99% of the time. So we need we need c- critical consumers of information in order for Americans to be informed. Then once they're informed, my view is they will more naturally become involved.
0: And you say, as Moynihan said, our former Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. And you talk about that. You say, look, co- this is what you say, Associated Press making the statement, COVID vaccines are safe, climate change is real. There was no widespread fraud in the 2020 U.S. elections. Those are not political positions. Those are fact-based positions. How do you move people off, the, off their own <laughs> off their own fixed uh, thought that some of those statements that you just said are facts are, in fact, not facts, Dr. Haas? You must have spent a lot of time thinking about it. You've got people so yeah, was- firmly convinced of things that are just plain wrong. What do you do about that?
2: Look, I'm a realist, and the honest answer is you won't move certain people away from that. That's simply a fact of life. But, again, that still leaves out tens and tens of millions of Americans, again, who are not uh, of fixed positions but also did not get involved politically. So my goal is to to reach them. Or with students, younger people, New Jersey, just to name one state, is the first state to pass a law which requires that information literacy – be taught in New Jersey schools. The whole mm-hmm. idea is to teach young people, as they come of age, how to navigate this world in which we're flooded with information, but also misinformation. Finland, it turns out, is a country, obviously uh, in Europe, that also does the same thing. They do. That young people there are yeah. taught to do the same thing. I would hope that this would become uh, st- a staple. Of, of public education in all 50 states. And it's one of the things I will, I will work for now that this book is published.
0: Dr. Haas, one more question for you. I, I'm interested to know what you mean by value norms. What do you mean by that in your bill of obligations?
2: The norms are the traditions or informal behaviors that aren't required by law or the Constitution, but that still uh, provide a kind of floor or a cushion for American democracy. The most famous one in American politics is the peaceful transfer of power. You have elections, then you know losers concede, winners win, and often they then stand together and work together for the good of their constituents or the or their country. That's a norm. It broke down in this country two years ago, and I, I would argue it's essential that that kind of a norm be restored and that the American people send the message. We expect this of those we will vote for.
0: Okay, well, the Bill of Obligations also talks about respecting government service, supporting the teaching of civics, putting your country first. Do you think that we should have compulsory military or community kind of service if people don't want to, you know, wear a gun, but they might have to do a Conservation Corps kind of thing? Do you think that implementing that as a national policy would go a long way towards some of these goals about obligations as a citizen?
2: I would argue it ought to be widespread. I believe trying to make it compulsory would trigger uh, all sorts of resistance. Americans tend not to like things that are compulsory. So I would say let's incentivize it. Let's provide various economic opportunities, loan forgiveness, training opportunities, and so forth for people to, whether it's we do it with the all volunteer force in the military. We could do it, as you suggest, with dozens and dozens of civilian enterprises. It would be great training for young people. It would also get Americans to meet one another. Right now, one of the biggest problems in this country is too many Americans from different walks of life or geography never come into contact with each other. We need to begin to break down those barriers. Service could be one of the ways to do it.
0: Dr. Richard Haas, the Bill of Obligations, the Ten Habits of Good Citizens. Thank you so much for writing this. Thank you so much for coming on our show, uh, and we really appreciate it. We hope you'll come back.
2: Thanks for having me, and have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Richard Haas on the Lisa Wexler Show.